I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women and I am a woman. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, thanks for downloading this edition of Kermode on Film. This week, I'm thrilled to be joined by Julian Temple, director of The Great Rock and Roll Swindle, Absolute Beginners, The Filth and the Fury, Oil City Confidential, Glastonbury, and now... Ibiza, the silent movie. Now, a few years ago, Julian came to the Shetland Film Festival, which I co-curate, and there he bravely took part in the Shetland Swim Challenge, which I made up, and which involves throwing yourself into ice-cold seawaters on both sides of the beach tombola at St Ninian's Isle. Julian absolutely aced the challenge and lived to tell the tale, and now he's made Ibiza, the silent movie. To make the movie, Julian Temple teamed up with Fatboy Slim himself, Norman Cook, and we'll hear from Norman Cook in a while. But first... Here's Julian Temple. You like a challenge, right? You're never somebody who's shied away from a challenge. I like to do something that hasn't been done before. Okay, on the subject of which, you're here, we're here in BAFTA, because we're about to have a screening of your film, I Beat of the Silent Movie. Um, and I, I love the fact that it's called I Beat of the Silent Movie, which you know, inhe- seems like an inherent contradiction. For those who haven't seen it, which is everybody, because it's going to premiere at Glastonbury in Cine- a couple of weeks' time. Cineramageddon. Cineramageddon. Yes. Biggest screen in Europe. What? Is it actually the biggest It's a drive-in movie, movie theatre. The only place you can have one in Britain is Glastonbury, because no one gives about the mud or yeah. the whatever the weather. They're happy. So a, a drive-in works there. The cars are already parked there. It's like they've been rusting there for like 70 years. It's like got a kind of Mad Buick. Max vibe, yeah. Yeah, it's Buick's kind of half buried in the landscape. It's Joe Rush, the art piece, you know, kind of. But the biggest screen in Europe, and you can watch great movies throughout the Glastonbury Festival. Fuck the music. <laughs> movies. And how do you do the sound? Uh, it's actually silent disco, but it's 7.3, you know, amazing sound. You can turn it up as loud as you want yourself as well. So you've basically got people sitting in sort of burned out car shells watching on this massive screen with perfect sound because they've got headphones, headsets yes. on, but it's silent. Yes. Okay. So tell us what Ibiza the Silent Movie is. Describe it. Because, I, you know, as I said, when I saw the title, I thought, I love that. I love the kind of contradiction because it's about Ibiza and the history and how we've developed club It's the loudest silent movie ever, ever made. made. But then, of course, silent cinema was never silent, as exactly. you know. Exactly. My father, uh, my grandfather, um, went bankrupt in 2031, uh, probably 29, but he ran silent movie orchestra empire in the west of England yeah. down to Penzance from Bristol basically and overnight when the talkies came in it's, it was all over for his uh, orchestra empire and uh, it could have been different growing up I guess if that hadn't happened but, um, but so, so I have a, a visceral in yeah in my brain yeah 
Okay, so describe Ibiza the silent movie for us. Well, I was asked by Malcolm Geary, who's here tonight, he's a great guy that we both know, um, would I want to do a film about Ibiza? And I was like, hmm, I'm not sure about that. It's not my kind of scene. I'd been there in the 80s with this weird guy who called Enigma. Uh, I don't know if you remember, there was a band called Enigma, but it was actually one guy sitting on a, like a quarter of Ibiza. He owned a quarter of Ibiza. And he's since been thrown out for soaring down a mountain. Um, but anyway, that's when I first Only saw it, Ibiza. and I, I'd never been back. And um, so I had to think kind of, I, I know there's lots of stuff about the clubbing, and but the island when I was there, there there's something um, you know about the, just the number of influences that have come through that island, because it's just in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's been you know, washed over by the Phoenicians, the Romans, the Moors. And I was thinking if I could make a story for the clubbers to go and respect a little bit more the place they go to and, and have a great time, but they, they don't really understand this place. I wanted to, to, to tell through the music, you know, which involves jazz of the beatniks in the 50s and the hippie psychedelic guitar music of the 60s. It's not just the clubbing music, but tell the story of the island just kind of floating on a, a kind of power-fueled um, carpet of music, you know. You, at the beginning and of the get rid of dipping the music, because, you know, every movie you have to make, dialogue in, in any kind of movie, the, whatever other sounds have to unnaturally go down. Yeah. Um, so this was a, this was the opportunity to do something where the where the sound and the mix was was incredibly free and told the story just with this impetus of sound. You know. And the way you do that is you use silent movie intertitles, so the story is told through intertitles and through music and through this kind of collage of you know drama and documentary that is very very Julian Temple. Yeah, I don't see a division between the two. I mean, I think the best movies are, are, are feel real and the best documentaries feel fake so <laughs> I'm somewhere in the middle there I just love the the sense that you can take an island which is you know wrapped in myth it loves a good story that didn't actually happen at Nibitha you know the cream Cream wrote a, um, that famous Ulysses song, um, Tales of Brave Ulysses, because Martin Sharp, you know, who did the wonderful Dylan Post, a psychedelic yeah. artist, told them that he had a house there and on Esvedra, the island off the coast, that's where the sirens called and wrecked, called him to his doom, you know. And so they went away and wrote a song which becomes a kind of mythic truth about the island, but it's, it's uh, there's so many uh, instances of uh, Hannibal was born there, Christopher Columbus was born there. Uh, it, it, it loves to shroud itself in myth. So to me that's also very interesting to, to look at the past and, and accept that any recreation of the past, whether it's Kirk Douglas, High Camp, 50s or um, El Cid with Charlton, you know, they're, they're all completely fake versions of the past you're getting in any movie, whether it's Ken Loach or um, Anthony Mann, it's not real. It's all in the imagination. And to play with that was also a great thing about the whirlpool of, of Ibiza, you know. 
And at the very beginning of the, the, the film, you, you kind of start with like literally like a geographical history of how this island occurred actually sort of split between two separate cultures, two different continents. We get this kind of, because you use animation to, to tell the story as well. And I, mean, I don't think I'd ever really understood just how critically placed culturally Ibiza is. Oh, it's right there on the crossroads of Africa, the Levant, you know, the, the Middle East, the Western Europe, France and Northern Europe. Uh, you know, it's perfectly there. And it's only 90 miles from Algiers, you know, you don't, it's closer to Algiers than Barcelona. So, yeah, in, in the history of, you know, civilization as it emerged, it was a very key place to control those trade routes. And, um, I mean, I found, well, one of the most interesting things I found about Ibiza was that the first people to go there in, in the way we kind of conceive of it now as a kind of slightly bohemian spiritual place were the Dada artists from Berlin, you know, when they had to get out of Berlin when Hitler was, you know, on their tail. Uh, Ibiza was the most remote, the poorest part of Europe. Really, literally, in the 50s, there were only 30 cars on the island. Mm -hmm. Now there are more cars per capita than anywhere else on the planet. So this, this little island in the last 50 years has gone through some kind of time warp catapulting into the future um, to do with tourism, which is also a, a very important subject in our modern times, I think, you know, what tourism does to places um, when people who can you know, people who live in Bath can tell you what it does to place, but Ibiza yeah. has had it more heavily than it's been tourist bombed ever since Franco got the idea of making it a tourist destination. Yeah. This is a subject that the documentary deals with, that there is this kind of hedonistic paradise which draws beatniks and hippies and idealists, and yet it's sanctioned by the most repressive state imaginable. In and Europe, the film yeah. sort of, that's a kind of central irony of, you know, like, can you, did, did you always know that? Was that something that you discovered through I didn't the know that. I knew Torre Molinos was important to Franco in terms of setting up, you know, or getting out of the UN boycott that he had from licking Hitler's ass a few years before, but he, he uh, also set up Ibiza at the same time. So the first incarnation of Ibiza as a mass tourist destination was very like Torre Molinos. It was like bad food sewage straight into the bay, you know. Um, but it was, you know, coincided with the availability of tourists on jet planes to, to go anywhere in Europe. So this remote three donkey island that the Dada artists had fallen in love with because it was like not just visiting ruins of the ancient world, it was like visiting a living version of the ancient world and was probably the only place in Europe where that was possible. It was so remote and so unchanged, uh, you know, suddenly thrown into this modern world and people, you know, understandably realized they could get out of poverty this way. So the, the last 50 years of Ibiza is this incredible exponential, you know, farmhouses that they couldn't, were, were falling down and now, you know, rent, renting for 200,000 grand a week, you know, so it's, it's a weird dynamic, it's a kind of um, supernova of tourism that's invented, you know, night nocturnal tourism, drug tourism, all these new forms of tourism come out of this small island. So it's a fascinating story to 
investigate. There's also one really bizarre um, detail that you point out at one, one moment when the tourism has really taken off on the coast, that there are still on Ibiza farmers in the middle of the island who've never seen the sea. And this idea, the idea that I think runs all the way through the documentary, it's almost like two different time periods are living cheek by jowl. Yeah, and I think that's... You know, that's the core of the film, really, is, is how much do you need to get paid to give up what your culture is? And there is a limit. And I think people in Ibiza are, are suddenly aware that, you know, shit, we've sold everything. We've sold not just the farm, we've sold our souls. Uh, and maybe it's all going to Mykonos next year, you know, the DJs. <laughs> so what have we got left, you know? Um, I mean, there's ironies upon ironies in... in in the island, um, partly because it's you know the, the first world kind of connecting to other worlds, you know, and and thinking there's this sense when you go to Ibiza that you're not going to a foreign country; it's clubland, you know, <laughs> which is quite weird. Yeah, yeah. You know. uh, what, what is your relationship with club culture? Because obviously, you know, you we, we sort of first started to see your film work around the time of punk, and you know, you've done numerous brilliant music documentaries from Great Rock and Roll Swindle to the fantastic documentary you did about uh, Wilco Johnson recently and then you, you know, worked with, uh, with Suggs in his, his show. So what is your, I never thought of you as a sort of, as a clubbing, in, in a, you know, an EDM enthusiast, <clears throat> were you? I think you're right. Um, <laughs> about, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I was a fan of house music. I, you know, again, that connected to Detroit. We were talking about that. Um, I think in any genre of music, if people like it, there's going to be 5% of it that's really actually pretty good, and the rest is shit. I, I, whether that's guitar music, EDM, EDM I don't know, but you know, dance-driven, beat-driven, um, electronic music. But, you know, I'm, I'm just interested in, in music that, that has some kind of soul and connects emotionally. Ironically, I spent weeks roving Ibiza clubs looking for someone who danced to the music and all they're doing is <laughs> swaying slightly on some ketamine thing with a phone in the hand you know <laughs> staring at a DJ so um, there's not much dancing going on in these clubs anymore when when I first went there it was a kind of weird hybrid of, of punk and hippie and you know it was the end of the 80s and um, I think in the movie you do get the sense there was a you know kind of abandon to this dancing under the stars outside. Yeah. Well, that seems to be closer to the kind of you know Wigan Casino Northern Soul sort of uh, dance experience. Yeah, that yeah. kind of you know. It's uh, taking it to a Mediterranean, you know, balmy night, yeah. wonderful magic place. You know, but the same beautiful energy of Northern Soul and, and you know dance. Dance culture is nothing new, it's from the beginning of time, you know, so um, it was a great thing, I think, at a certain point to, you know, coming out of that whole history of the beatniks and the Dada guys and the hippies, to have these, these celebrations to dance to under the fucking moon and stars, you know. Yeah. And in the film, the, the sort of, the, the, the embodiment of dance is played by Bez. 
Yeah, I didn't know that actually, that Ibiza was, <laughs> was named for their god of dance who was called Bez. Which just uh, seems, it seems, seems too perfect. And actually I have to say, because at the beginning of the film there's a thing which says, loads of things that you hear about Ibiza are lies. And when it turned out that Ibiza was, was I thought Julian has to be making this up. No? No, that's, that's you know, the beauty of flipping truth and <laughs> fiction on its head. That is real. It's really the true. Nostradamus quote at the beginning is fake, but they quote it as a Bible on the island. And the Nostradamus <laughs> quote is the thing about when all civilization ends. The final refuge on earth will be Ibiza. <laughs> so that's accepted as true. But uh, it's not. No. no. But the Bez thing is, it is. So as far as we know, you know, but yes, it is. And how did Bez feel when you told him? Well, I, mean, I, I told him. I told him you also got to keep your trainers on because this is a fake. <laughs> you know, it's like the wristwatch on yeah. the on the Roman soldier. <laughs> it was like what? He didn't have trainers in those days. <laughs> no, he he said he loved it. He didn't know either. Um, but so. that must have given his life kind of the, because the idea Meaning. that you want bears <laughs> and then you suddenly discover that actually <laughs> did you know reason. that there's an entire whole of Ibiza actually exists because of Bez the god of I mean it, as I said it just seems too perfect to be it to be a, true it's a great irony and you have um, Carl from Madness plays uh, Raoul Hausmann who was one of the original Berlin um, Dada artists one of the best actually you know the the, the, the the image that kind of defines that time is that wooden head with the antenna yeah. which is almost prophesying what's happening with us and the internet you know um, and uh, you know when Hitler got on their case he was also Jewish he wasn't just a degenerate artist he was also Jewish so he had to get out and um, he went to Ibiza, as I was saying, was so remote that you felt vaguely safe, I think, there. But Hitler sent Hitler Youth there. And another irony to spy on these guys and yeah. report back what was going on. But another irony of the island, you know, is after the war, Franco said it's, you know, it's open house for Gestapo officers on the run. So, you know, the refugees who'd been Jewish artists from Hitler were then replaced by Nazi officers who were there until the early 2000s, you know, making ecstasy on their farms. Later on in the, uh, <laughs> they, they had illegal ecstasy factories on Nazi-owned thinkers, yeah, amazing. It's like a science fiction film. I mean, it's, it's like, it is like something that, as I say, you say at the beginning, you need to be very careful because Myth and you know, in fact, are, are intertwined. But the actual truth of it is really fairly extraordinary. Yeah, and it it somehow seems that there's a reason why Ibiza has become this um, this kind of you know cultural mecca. On the one hand, fantastically real and genuine. On the other hand, fantastically artificial. On the one hand, you know, free and hippie. On the other hand, it's all about the money, you know. And and the how do you is it how do you pronounce the guy's name Matutes Matutes who literally runs or owns I mean at one point you speak to a to an Ibiza resident so yeah he he owns he owns Ibiza but they don't mind because he's made it wealthy yeah I mean well I think there you know there's an interesting split now that, that how wealthy do you want to be if you lose everything everything you know because money in the end doesn't mean everything. So in the end, that's that's at the core of the film, you know. 
I wanted to make it about their story rather than just about the clubbers. But I wanted the clubbers to know the kind of place they were going to. And I wish the clubbers would dance a bit more. <laughs> tell me about That's another message of the film. Tell me about working with Norman Cook and how, how he was involved in it. Well, uh, as you know, I've, I've, I've fessed up to not being a great EDM kind of expert. So I needed a guide through this thing. And um, I couldn't wish for a nicer bloke than Norman. I mean, really, really helped me, exposed me to 5% of the best stuff that I could work with and tell the story through. And I'm, I love the soundtrack, actually, even though I, I'm not a natural fan yeah. of the, the music. I think he's guided me into choices that people who don't even want to go near the idea of clubbing can actually dig the yeah. feel of it. Well, incidentally, that is me. I mean, <clears throat> wild horses wouldn't drag me to a club, but I really enjoyed the film, and I really, I felt like I actually understood it as well. And I, I think that's always the key to a documentary is, can it involve you in a world about which you do not know anything? You don't want to go necessarily. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. and I, I really did feel like I did kind of understand. And it, and it made the, the dance culture contextualized. It made it seem like it, it was part of a longer Evolution. continuum. Evolution, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I did understand that. Norman really helped me um, understand that. Uh, I mean, Norman is very connected to Glastonbury as well as yeah, um, Ibiza. I think those his two favorite places other than Brighton <laughs> on the planet, <laughs> maybe Rio. Um, but he um, he's not just a you know a, a, your normal Ibiza EDM DJ. This is a man with history in all sorts of different types of music, and he's engaged with Brazilian music and Cuban music and places I've been too and um, you know I think we got on really well in, in, in telling the story and in, in, in using that music as a narrative uh, force it, you know it's kind of unstoppable it, it, you know the psychology of that music is powerful um, it, you know the way they build to something that completely breaks and you know the tensions going 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 and you've got you're inside a cage kind of editing you've got this cage of rhythm so you can you can go crazy like some lunatic trying to bash his head against the cage and go off the beat. You can be on the beat, yeah. it, but it's got this very kind of like regimented. It's unlike other music to cut to, but it's it's actually quite interesting to cut to it because um, you can do things you don't expect to happen because everything seems to be predictable, but then you can go yeah. against that. In another absurd coincidence, at what point did you discover that Sid Vicious had spent time with Because again, you know... I always secretly knew that. Did you, oh, did you? Because I was in, you know, inside information. So you always knew that Sid Vicious... I never divulged it before now. I just yes. thought, again, I can, this, is, this is too good to be true, because you directed Rock and Roll Swindle, and there we are suddenly seeing clips of Sid Vicious doing Come On Everybody on his motorbike, because there's a Sid Vicious... I beat the connection. No, when everyone said, I, I was really excited about Orson Welles, Sid Vicious, <laughs> <laughs> Raoul Houseman. They were saying, what the fuck are you talking about? This is about clubbing and Ibiza. No, it's not. Because <laughs> Orson Welles, you know, famously made that beautiful movie, which I, the rock and roll film was inspired by that. Again, blurring myth and reality, you know, that, that Malcolm McLaren was the puppet master, Bullshit, you know. Yeah. The day after the 
Grundy interview, he was like, or oh, the night of the Grundy interview, you've blown everything I fucking work for. You've destroyed everything I've done for you. <laughs> and Paul Cook comes in the next morning with like yeah. 50 national newspapers, dumps it on his pillow. Like, well, Malcolm, look at this. <laughs> but did you, you know, so... Did you get the sense of, of kind of you know of forces lining up? Because I know I know there's a lot of spiritual baloney, but the fact is there are too many coincidences. I mean, the, the Sid Vicious thing. Okay, you knew about it beforehand, but it's like the F for Fate connection, the Sid Vicious connection. All these things. It's it's almost like this movie. Or drones falling out of the sky. My drone. We were trying to film that henge, that you know, kind yeah. of new age henge. <laughs> of course they have on Ibiza, of <laughs> like Spinal Tap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, uh, it's not an island. We were flying this drone, and suddenly it smashed into one of the hinge pillars, and this thing came up, you know, magnetic overload. To, and, and the myth is, you know, as Vedra is the most magnetic. It was right. Now. So I don't know. There is something weird about the place, and something very beautiful in the soul of the place, which is why I kind of like to see the film as a kind of intervention when you've got like a brother who's a bit out of control <laughs> and needs. Just deal with it. Yeah. You know, I think Ibiza needs to look at itself, and or, and by Ibiza, I, I talk of all the people who go there and love it, and um, as well as the culture that it comes from. You know, about everybody involved. They need to really look and uh, wonder whether they want to go further down this path, or they want to keep something of what the place. Was I was very struck by all the big demonstrations last last year in Barcelona, saying we must not become Ibiza. We've got to keep our culture. We can't be kind of written out of history by just allowing tourists to yeah. swamp us away. You know, uh, and it's difference that's important in the world. You know, um, in, in inside cultures, but different cultures need to keep individuality. You can't. You know, the idea you fly to wherever and it's the same place, it's a nightmare. We, we'll, you know, the airport's the same, the roads are the same, the restaurant chains are the same. I mean, it's, that is the end. You know. I have to tell you that one of my strongest memories of you is going through airport security with you. Because you have a... I have this you have a Moroccan th a, a, Tuareg bracelet. That, that cannot come off. No. It, and it's it went on at 16 and my hand was probably shrinking now. So it's a so bracelet around your, around your wrist and it was put on when you were 16 and, and it's, it's metal obviously. So every time you go through airport security so it goes off and you have to literally explain to them that it cannot come off. And I thought they're not going to let you on the plane but of course they did. I just right. thought, I, I, I love the fact that you've it actually... reminds me who I am, this thing, because yeah. uh, I have to get searched. Every but. single time. But there was part of me that thought, that's very you. It's, there's a kind of, there's a pride in being unable to go through any security without that setting an alarm off. Right. I want them to know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> do you stay friends with the people that you make? Like, do you still see Wilco? Do you still see the pistols? Yes. Um, I still, I, yeah, I still see Wilco. The pistols are in LA, uh, so I haven't been there that much. Um, well, John and Steve. Steve. Steve, I'm really close with. Paul, I'm close with. John's um, a bit of a, you know, hasn't yeah. aged that gracefully. Um, <laughs> or, or. <laughs> no, well, the, I mean, I heard him on a radio program saying that he thought Trump was an outsider, and he could, he could, and I just thought. Lost the plot, mate. Yeah. 
But Wilco, so Wilco is now... He's 72, yeah, and he's had another four years of really, you know, playing his heart out. He's played better than he ever did, I think. And what an astonishing experience to make a film about somebody who's, who was in the, the end of their life saying goodbye to it, right. who then miraculously wasn't. I mean, it is the most extraordinary story. It was isn't it? very, very strange, yeah. And again, um, you couldn't have made it up. You, if, somebody's, if, if somebody had pitched that as a fictional thing, it would have said, don't be silly. Oh, I couldn't believe the, um, the day uh, he told us that he'd had this news. He said, you've got to come down and film me. I've got some really good, we're making a film about him saying goodbye yeah. to everything. Go down uh, and we get there and he's asleep. I can't wake him up, you know. So we had to wait like eight hours. <laughs> he finally wakes up and comes to the place we've been waiting, which is the famous Dr. Feelgood down by the jetty yeah, sea yeah. wall. <laughs> he turns up and says, I've got a chance, I've got a chance. <laughs> it's like, great, sit on the wall and tell us about <laughs> it. <laughs> but it took, it was funny. He was asleep for most of the day. Um, After the first screening of that film, there was a gig that he played at the 100 Club that I went to, which was brilliant. That was brilliant. He was and then, there. And there was, there was a guy who was, you know, right, very close to him with a, with a camera, right, taking for, somebody went, who's the guy taking the photographs? And he went, that's his doctor. That's literally the guy that saved his life. He can stand wherever he wants. Yeah. Because <laughs> he, was, he was so... He was so full of life. I mean, it was, it was the most energetic. I know I saw Feelgood in the 70s, you know. It was the most energetic I'd ever seen him. Right. It unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, it was amazing. One thing I was thinking, when you were talking about animation, in, in terms of the Abita film, because yeah. when I was a kid, you know, animation was something, well, fucking Disney yeah. did, not people like you and me. You yeah, know? yeah. But now it's, um, it's affordable, it's usable by anyone, really. Yeah. So, you know, the idea of silent movie captions can be completely transformed by what you can do on a laptop with graphics and, yeah. um, you know, pasting things together and animating them. And I find that, you know, that's, if we're talking about how you make a silent movie, that, that's also another, you know, we've got 7.2 sound, but we've also got the ability to do stuff with the captions. That, yeah. Because when I was editing this, no one got it. You'd suddenly cut to a bit of, printed black, you know, text on black screen, and yeah. it was like, killed the vibe, killed... I was saying, it's going to be better than that, we're going to animate it, we're going to do some <laughs> graphics, and... <laughs> nah, it's not working, mate, you know, <laughs> this is not going to work. But actually, you know, we can do a lot for little money with animation and, and good graphic designer, yeah. you know, it's amazing. So you fired up for the Glastonbury premiere? I am. You're going to be there, obviously. Of course I am. Are you going to watch it in a car with the headphones on? Yeah, I've got a nice 53 Buick lined up <laughs> with dodgy windscreen wipers if it rains. It's great in the rain because you've got this kind of great Cocteau-like, you know, visual effect of the rain running down the windscreen and big, huge screen in front of you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Very glad to say that uh, Norman Cook is here. Norman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, big fan of uh, I'd Be Through the Silent Movie, despite the fact that, I, as I was saying to Julian, what I know about club culture is nothing, and I've never been a dancer or anything, but I thought the movie really worked and got me inside it all. How did you... Is, go on. I was going to say, is the correct answer? Yes, it is the correct answer. Yeah. How did you get involved with this? Uh, somebody asked me, Julian, I don't know if it came directly from Julian, somebody suggested it and uh, I basically leapt down the telephone line, leapt down Julian's phone and said I'm the man for the job. Simply because I've always, I've always loved film and uh, was always looking for a way of getting into it, actually working into it. I've always loved what Julian does yeah. and his style very much echoes I think the way I make records, that kind of cutting and pasting of different, juxtaposing different things and found elements so um and then obviously Ibiza is kind of my second home yeah. so I know it inside out and so yeah I just basically I just leapt down your throat and told you I was the man for the job and no, I nobody guide, else. I yeah, yeah. Said, he, said he needs a guide he needed somebody that, kind of, that could explain um dance music to him so how did you, how did you go about explaining <laughs> to Julian what this was I don't I don't think I really need to explain it, it was more it was, good it was I sent tried to lead him down the path of righteousness there was a bit, little bit of re reduxing it was more pointing out things that didn't work it was more things that that, that Julian like tunes where I was just like you know what that was that's never been played in Ibiza okay. that doesn't fit so it was it was yeah just um I don't know just leading by example I mean some of the first filming you did was at my shows and if that didn't drop you in the deep end I don't know what would um yeah I think it's 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 interesting the musical story because uh it's it, i don't know you kind of you have to have been there yeah. which, which is I why wasn't. which is why I, I liked your comment about if 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 people don't really understand club culture music it'd be really easy to alienate them mm. by making a film which just went you don't get it this yeah, is yeah. our thing this is our gang yeah. but the idea was to for, for for julian was to tell the whole story and to, to introduce everyone to it so it wasn't we didn't want to make it just for Ibiza clubbers or for people who've been there yeah um but there had to be something in for the, the, the they for them to learn a history lesson about the history of the island was great yeah. but in terms of music it was to invite everybody into what because a lot of people have preconceptions from like Ibiza uncovered or just their friends tales of stag do's or whatever of, of what actually goes on and it was you know it's, there's, there's, there's subtleties in the music that uh, sometimes get lost I, th I mean I, I love the way the music works throughout the film and I and I I do think that the definition of any good documentary is that it can make you understand and be interested in something that you didn't understand and weren't particularly interested in before um, in terms of the the way in which the dance culture that exists 
seems to come out of uh, thousands of years of history. I mean, with this this weird coincidence that Bez yeah. is, the, which just seems like something somebody must have made that up. Did you know any of that before? No, no. I mean, that was the first of many, many facts. That facts, but that's the one that just blows your socks off. And probably, <laughs> I'd love to see Bez's face when it was pointed out to him. Though he might have been told before, like on the dance floor at Amnesia or something, and just went, yeah, yeah, funny. But um, yeah, I mean, historical fact that that. I think, I mean, that's kind of sums up, the, for me, the whole film. The idea that what went before begat what, what is happening now. Yeah. Whether we know it or not, and there's bits of it that, that tie in, and there's themes that have been reoccurring throughout the, the island's history, and it's almost spooky the way that history repeats itself. Yeah. And then, and, and it's how we got to the Ibiza that we know today, rather than just banging on about what it's like. There's also this lovely thing about it being a silent movie because I play in a band that, that accompany silent movies. Silent movies is my sort of big obsession. And I think that it's a brilliant idea to have that movie in which, because silent movies were never silent, they were always accompanied by, they were always musicals effectively. And actually what you've got now is a musical. It's not dialogue. It's something in which the entire story is told by music. It's a perversely brilliant idea. <laughs> this man wrote the book about perversely. <laughs> <laughs> DJ's an alien. Messing with our minds. The DJ's an alien. And he's messing with our minds. Julian, when we started, bless him, he really loved the idea that you could dance all the way through it. Yeah. But obviously that would become quite monotonous. And also the story goes off in twists in different directions yeah. where you don't really want to dance yeah. to certain Yeah, dancing to the Nazis would be So a, that was the only, bit, the only bit about my, my part of the job that I didn't... Springtime for Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> the only bit that I didn't really fulfil probably what Julian wanted me to was, was make a, a soundtrack that you could dance all the way through, but that's... You know, the, the story was more important than the dancing. But a brilliant idea that it's going to that it will premiere at Glastonbury in this kind of you know this extraordinary setting with this huge screen and people listening. I hope there seems to be there's a real perfect synergy to that film and the Glastonbury Festival, isn't there? Yeah, I mean you're in both places. Well, we've both got history. Well, I've, yeah, I've got more. I've got history with both. So for me, that they feel like they're almost twin towned. But I don't know. I mean, Glastonbury twinned with Ibiza. <laughs> again, I th I th again, I did. I think you didn't. You have some idea that we were going to premiere it by projecting onto the rocks at Esfedra or something. Well, I have mad ideas. <laughs> <so I'm sure. laughs> um, but no, I mean Glastonbury. As uh, outside of Ibiza, probably Glastonbury is the, the, the most obvious place to premiere. Yeah. I remember this. Is, sorry, this is ancient history. I saw you playing bass in the House Martins years and years ago when I used to be at a magazine in Manchester called City Life. Right. And we promoted a House Martins gig. This is back in the 1980s, and. I've always thought that it's really interesting that a bassist in a band became the, because I'm. Yeah, I was going to say, but I was just about to say that as you know, bass players are. Always oh, the in most, fact, the, the, the mostly stable, crucial element, the crucial, the, the most driving and, force, and sexiest. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I was just actually going to offer you the opportunity to just <laughs> wax lyrical about how bassists actually rule the world for a moment. <laughs> well, you know that. One. You know. <laughs> so what? Sorry, what was the? No, bass? that is the, uh, question. That is the question. There yeah, well, yeah. is something about it. Is all about the bass. It is, uh, yeah, I mean, we are, I mean, I joke about it, but we are generally the sexiest, the most well-balanced, the best timing, mm -hmm. and the best... The um, Sid Vicious connection, there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, did you know the Sid Vicious Ibiza connection before Julian started doing this documentary? Because, again, I thought that was something that he must have made up. 
no, I didn't. It was. It was. I mean, I think when you when you first, it was, it was one of the things true, that you knew before, true, you know. because a lot of the other stuff was was, was you um, just researching and then hanging out in the island. But that was one that you knew. Be- I knew personally. Yeah. Yeah. And did you feel that what the, the, the film was in it, did it t- teach you stuff about Ibiza that you didn't know? Because you've been such an integral part of that dance oh. culture. Did, did you learn stuff from Julian's stuff? Absolutely. I mean, everything pre-1950, the Phoenicians, the Romans, the Dardarists, the Nazis, that, most people who go to Ibiza don't think about things like that. They don't think that it, it ever existed you know, beyond the end of their nose. So, yeah, I mean, all the historical bits. Yeah. Um, and then... No, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I know Julian jokes about, you know, all of this is true and, you know, the, 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 the fake news yeah. side of it, but most of it is actually true and most of it, a lot of it is stranger than fiction yeah. and a lot of it is stuff that we just didn't really delve into more. Because the worst thing, if, if, when, if when you sort of suggested the film to me, it was, it'd be like, are we going to interview you? Pete Tong, Paul Oakenfold and, and Alfredo and everyone. It's like that story's been told. And that story's kind of the same bits get repeated over and over again. Whereas mm. Julian dug so much deeper and and and, and, and earthed some fa- fabulous stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, for, for me that was it was it was it was looking back to beyond giraffe dodgers and hippies. Anything beyond that was was all news to me and, and yeah, and, and but all but all made sense. It, it all made total sense. Of course, that's that's why that was, you know, and the uh, and tying it in with water, tying it in with water. The idea of people escape, trying running there to escape. Um, so many things just keep reoccurring. The fact that it's right on the cusp of these two separate cultures that it is, I mean, it does seem to have been perfectly placed geographically to become this kind of, this focal point. Do you feel positive about the future? Because the film ends on a slightly cautionary note, which is, you know, we we have to take more responsibility for what's happening. Do you think, has the moment passed or is there a a good future? I think there's a good future there. I mean, it might, this might sound contentious, but Beath has been in, invaded by so many different people and in between sometimes there'll be kind of fallow times. Yeah. Uh, I think what's happening at the moment with the VIP culture might mean it goes into decline a bit, but mm-hmm. it'll reinvent itself in a different way or a, a fresh bunch of people will invade. Yeah. So I don't think it's the end of it, but I, it's, it's worrying times. I mean, that's again one, one of the uh, things that I think is really brave that Julian didn't pull any punches about how he feels about what's going on because a lot of people are like, oh no, we don't talk about that, you know. Going to affect this bit like Jaws, it like, it'll affect the tourists. <laughs> and so, there, there, you know, but the, the, there are things, there are issues that, that, that people worry about where the island is going. But even if it does destroy the kind of current VIP culture, then the country will go back to the salt economy and then wait for the next invaders. And there is the sense anyway that the VIP culture is something artificial, that actually, as far as club culture is concerned, that's not where it comes from. It comes from a much more kind of working class base. It's people who can afford to go there. Well, I think over the years there was always, there's people who went there because it was really cheap and then they attracted the, the movers and shakers and the beautiful people. And then when they ruin it, then it goes back. And that's, that's kind of one of those sort of cyclical things. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of the, the, the people with the money follow the, the people who haven't got the money. Mm. 
Thanks for listening to this Kermit on Film podcast and our thanks to Julian Temple and Norman Cook. You can see Ibiza the Silent Movie at Glastonbury and then it's on release from July the 5th. And like all of Julian's movies, it's a trip. And I say that as somebody who has firstly never been to Ibiza and secondly never understood club culture. But as with the best documentaries, it made me interested in and more knowledgeable about a subject about which I previously knew nothing at all. And that's a top recommendation. So thanks for listening to Kermode on Film, and thanks for making it a million-plus downloads hit. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe and tell your friends. Keep watching the skies. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 